Morning, River City. Um, as Devin said, I'm not Marty Lindstrom. Um, if I were, I'd be six inches taller, and I wouldn't have a mustache. Um, but you should all tell Marty that he would look great with a mustache, because it's totally true. <clears throat> so, this morning, I have the utmost privilege and responsibility of preaching God's word to you and edifying your souls to the worship of our great God. May we all hunger for what God has revealed in his word and submit ourselves to it this morning. Now, for some of you, putting Psalm 10 ahead of 9 is a huge problem. You're like ordering, we're going from 5, 6, 7, 8, 10, 9, and that's like nails on a chalkboard to you. For others of you, you're like, it's not a big deal, they're not successive, or like, it's not a story being told over multiple chapters, so we can just flip-flop them and it's okay. Normally, yes, that would be the case, but with Psalm 9 and 10, they're actually very closely connected, so much so that the two form what is called a broken acrostic. Um, So the two go through the Hebrew alphabet, beginning each stanza with the successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet with a few um, broken uh, stanzas in there that don't line up. So uh, the connection is there. It's just unsure to what extent. Um, But on an acrostic like that, not only are we going 6, 7, 8, 10, 9, we're also going M-N-O-P-Q-R-S-T-U-V-W-X-Y-Z. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L. So, if the number thing didn't get you, that might. Now, with that in mind, let's be reminded of God's providence. He has us in Psalm 10 this morning, instead of Psalm 9, on purpose. And while most of you didn't know this was happening until you got here this morning, God planned it before the foundations of the earth. So, Let us open our Bibles and take a look at Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul... And the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages, in hiding places. He murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws them into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. 
Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning from the 10th Psalm. I hope in my reading of this psalm you can get a sense of the desperate state and reliance on the Lord that this author has. Psalm 10 begins with a question that we have all asked. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Maybe you haven't asked it that way. Maybe you've said, where is God in this tragedy? How could God let this happen? God, if you're good, why is this happening to me? In some shape or form, we've all asked this question. We've heard of God's justice and goodness, experienced injustice, and then asked, God, where are you? Our main question this morning comes to us straight out of verse 1. I paraphrased, but where is God in the injustice that we experience? Loaded into this question are these questions. Why is God letting this happen? If God is in control of the things that happen, or is God in control of the things that happen to me? God, why do you feel so distant when I need you most? Now, I'm not guaranteeing can answer all those questions this morning or every aspect of that question. In fact, many theologians go too far beyond the bounds of Scripture in order to try to answer these questions and end up committing you know, small things like heresy. What I hope to do this morning is to present to you wisdom from this psalm, instruction of how to respond, and point you to the encouragement that we have in Christ despite the injustices that we face. With that said, my main point this morning is the power and justice of the king will prevail. First, we'll look at the injustice that we experience. Then we'll see the instruction to cry out to the Lord. And lastly, we will find assurance that God is just. Again, this psalm begins by asking, where is God in the injustices we experience? It then moves right into the injustices that we experience. According to biblical counselor David Paulison, no psalm gives a fuller description 
of the inner workings of those who hurt others. And I don't think I even need to read through the other Psalms to fact check him. This list is extensive. Powelson also clarifies the type of suffering that the author is discussing here. This is not suffering stemming from the broken creation of like, things like sickness and natural disasters. This suffering is due to a direct result of the sin of the wicked. Let's take a look at a few key descriptions of the wicked in these verses. I'm not going to reread it. I'm just going to paraphrase our way through. So follow along in your Bible as I paraphrase the wicked here. The wicked are arrogant. The wicked are boastful, greedy for gain, and they renounce God. The wicked does not seek him and says, there is no God. He ignores God's judgments. He is bold and confident in his evil. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. The wicked hides and murders the innocent, watching for the helpless. He lurks and seizes the poor. He overtakes the helpless. He believes God will not see his sin. Essentially, the wicked deny God and pursue injustice against the weak. What comes to mind when you hear the description of this description of the wicked? How do these general descriptions apply specifically to the injustices that you've experienced? Maybe you've been deceived by an internet or phone scam. Or you've had someone steal credit card information or stolen your identity. Maybe you've been mistreated and hated by others for no apparent reason to you. Maybe you've been mistreated or hated for reasons related to race and ethnicity. Perhaps you've been cheated on or abandoned. You've possibly been affected by the greed and selfishness of others in destructive ways. Or maybe you've been manipulated and taken advantage of by someone you trusted. It's these types of things and many more that this psalm is lamenting over. These are real sins and injustices that we experience from the hands of the wicked. As we've seen above, when people sin against us in these ways, they are acting as if there is no God and that he will not hold them accountable. And when God's justice is delayed, it causes us to question, where is God in the injustice we experience? The wicked seem to get away with it and to continue to prosper at the expense of others. It can even be enough to tempt us to think, maybe they're right. Just a mini application here. It is okay for us to question God, but not to assert false things about him. In verse 1, the psalmist says, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? 
Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Here, the psalmist is honestly questioning God. That is acceptable. Scripture gives us that example. What is not is the example of the wicked who in verse 4 asserts that there is no God. Or in verse 11, if there is God, he has forgotten. He has hidden his face and he'll never see my sin. When we suffer injustice, it is okay for us to lay our hearts bare before the Lord and inquire of him why he would allow it and what he's doing in it. Draw near to the Lord in those times and trust him. This psalm gives us a great example of one crushed by injustice who yet stands upon the truths that God has revealed about himself. The wicked mistakes God's patience as either God's approval of sin or his indifference towards it. God's patience, when perceived wrongly, emboldens the wicked and discourages the innocent victims of injustice. That's why we need to continue going in this psalm to understand why God is patient. Now, right away we're going to see how Christ enters into our experience of injustice. In verse 8, the author uses the word innocent to describe the murder victim. On a human-to-human level, we can apply the term innocent to those who suffer such injustices as listed above. An innocent person who has an injustice done to them is called a victim. When you are a victim of something severely tragic, you may form your identity around being a victim of that sin. Maybe this causes you to think about the injustice every day. Perhaps you look in the mirror and think, I'm less of a person because I've experienced blank. Maybe you use your identity of victim to enable certain sins of your own. We never want to downplay the injustice someone has experienced, but there is a danger of allowing the word victim to overtake your identity in in unhealthy ways. If you've ever been a victim of any injustice, Jesus offers two amazing remedies for you this morning. First, Jesus identifies with us as a victim of injustice. Follow along on the screen as I read from Psalm, or, uh, Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, Like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Although he had done no no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Jesus is also betrayed by a close friend, Judas. Judas then returns to the Pharisees in agony and says, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Jesus is given the most unfair trial ever to be conducted. He is then beaten beyond recognition and hung on a cross. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, 
into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. Jesus became a victim on our behalf. He has suffered injustice at the hands of wicked men. He has been betrayed, spit on, abandoned, defamed, punished, and executed. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, your Savior identifies with you. He knows your pain, maybe not the exact same pain, but at the root of it, he knows how you feel and has felt it too. I encourage you to seek healing in Jesus this morning who identifies with your suffering. The second thing Jesus does is that he gives us a greater identity. Jesus did not just identify with our suffering for the fun of it. He did so so that those who believe on his name could be called children of God. 1 John 3.1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Romans 8, 16 through 17 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. If there's going to be a component of your identity that overshadows the rest, it ought to be this, a child of God. The reason that the Bible continues past Genesis 3 is so that God could redeem wicked sinners and call them children of God, all for his glory. Yes, you may have suffered terrible injustices that caused you to ask, where is God? But seek healing in the unjust wounds of Jesus and seek to reorient your identity as God sees it. The power and justice of the king will prevail over the injustice we experience. Now, have you ever heard someone say, I I just can't believe that a good God would allow that to happen, so I don't believe in him anymore? I feel like it's safe to say that most of us have heard that or something like that before from someone who does not profess to be a Christian. <clears throat> They've faced injustice and asked, where is God in the injustice I experience? And they've answered like the wicked, there is no God. However, the psalmist has a different answer. Arise, O Lord! O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands to help the help, or to you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The power and justice of the king will prevail. So cry out to the Lord. 
Remember the desperation that this psalm began with? Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Then, in verses 2 through 11, we get the disheartening description of the oppression of the wicked. But the psalmist has not lost faith. Instead, he triumphantly calls upon the Lord to destroy the wicked and to help the afflicted. The hand of God in the Old Testament is often a symbol of his power. Verse 12 is a plea for God to mobilize his forces and crush the oppressor. In verse 13, there's the question as to why the wicked gets away with renouncing God and saying that he won't hold him accountable. I often think the same thing with our culture that increasingly moves away from God and mocks him. I think, God, why are you letting this happen? Why are you letting them joyfully, freely mock you? Where are you in the injustice that we experience? Verse 14. But you do see. God sees every sin and injustice and will hold all people to account. He also sees when the weak are oppressed. Now this may be obvious, but God cares about all injustice, not just the injustices committed against his children. The poor, the helpless, and the fatherless in this psalm are people who are societally weak and easily taken advantage of. They were often the targets of the wicked. God takes account of the injustices committed against all people and will take justice into his hands at the proper time. Verse 15, God will strike down the wicked and settle the accounts on his great day of judgment. Now, there will be times in history and in our lives that we can see incomplete parts of God's justice in the present. But there will also be times where we find ourselves in the same place as the psalmist, afflicted and wondering, where is God in the injustice that I experience? Cry out to the Lord. Do your prayers sound like this section of Psalm 10? Look back at the words on the pages of verses uh, 12 and 15. Have you prayed this way before? Is this a regular way you pray? The Psalms are a great place for us to go in times of prayer and to open up, open them up and pray through them. They help us pray prayers we often don't think of ourselves and show us how we can rightly pray to God. In times of suffering, do you run to or away from the Lord? Do you at times find yourself maybe apathetic to the injustices committed around you? I exhort you this morning to cry out to the Lord. And if this is hard for you or unnatural, then I exhort you to hunger and thirst for righteousness. This comes from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, Blessed are those Um, It will be on the screen. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled or shall be satisfied. 
You might be thinking, Psh, Mitch, you can't just command my emotions and what I desire. Well, the Bible does it everywhere. It tells us to love, to have joy, to rejoice, to weep, to praise, and many other times it exhorts, um, it commands our emotions and our desires. And as followers of Christ, God is conforming us into the image of his son, Jesus. Now, in our circle of Christianity, we often think that that means believing the right doctrine and doing godly things. However, thinking and doing are only two of our three heart functions. The other is feeling and desiring. This, too, is under construction of the Holy Spirit's work um, of sanctification in us. One way to pursue a stronger hunger for righteousness is simply to pray and ask the Lord to give it. James 1.5 shows what to do if someone lacks wisdom. Pray and ask the Lord who gives generously. Based on my understanding of God's word, I think switching in a hunger for righteousness in the place of wisdom would be a prayer that God is delighted to answer. Then... As we grow in desire, or as we grow to desire righteousness and justice, our cries to the Lord will be more earnest, sincere, and frequent. Only in Christ can we have a heart that truly desires righteousness and justice. So I exhort you this morning to cry out to the Lord. Above, we discussed the person who experiences injustice and concludes that there is no God. Since you're here worshiping God this morning, I'll assume that's not you. However, maybe your question is, is God in control? If God is in control, is he good? Is he just? The power and The power and justice of the king will prevail. So be assured that God is just. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. First of all, this section starts off with a declaration about the Lord. He is king forever and ever. God is a king who reigns over all of his creation. What other king has reigned forever? What other king will reign forever and ever? None but Yahweh, our God, who reveals himself generally in creation and specifically in his word. Ephesians 1.11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Romans 11.33 and 36 say, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways. For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. 
Then Hebrews 1, 3, speaking of Christ, says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And if you're not convinced by those three verses there, dive into Job um, at the end of Job in chapters 38 through 41 this week and look at how the Lord humbles Job by laying out his exact calculated control over all of his creation. God's kingship is over every atom of his creation and there is nothing outside of his control or strength. But this truth might lead you to question, if God is in control and evil happens, is God good? Is he just? Verse 17 and 18 answer, yes. The Lord hears the desires of the afflicted. He gives his attention to their trouble. He will strengthen their hearts and incline his ear to them. He will listen to them and hear their troubles so that he may do justice for them. He will destroy the evildoers in perfect justice so that they may strike terror no more. Yes, God is just. Still, though, we may question, if God is in control and if God is just, why does his justice delay? Where is God in the injustice that I experience? My answer, and I believe scripture's answer is, He is mercifully and graciously patient. Here's why. Have you ever paid for something with your debit card? What happens? After the transaction clears, the money is immediately removed from your account. Have you ever paid with a credit card? What happens? You get to purchase the item... But the money stays in your account until, at the end of the month, you pay your credit card bill. Don't tell Dave Ramsey we're talking about credit cards. But you get to purchase the item and take it home, and that, that cost is stored up until the day that you have to pay the whole balance. Now, when we seek God's justice, there's often two problems. Uh, The first is that we're basing it off of our own standard of what justice should be. Um, But then the second is that we're demanding debit card justice. We want God's justice immediately. We want it to follow right after that injustice. For us to see the wicked strike down in our presence. But if we got our way, what would happen to us? The author of this psalm is writing as an innocent victim who relies on the Lord. And as we discussed, on a human level, that is true. On a human-to-human level, that is true. However, we sufferers of injustice must must ask ourselves if there are any similarities between us and our oppressors. Psalm 10 does not stand apart from the rest of the Bible. And Romans 3, 10 through 18 draws up a similar list um, to Psalm 10 and applies it to all people, to everyone, to us. On the screen, here's a comparison of Psalm 10 and Romans 3, 10 through 18.
these lists are pretty similar. In fact, uh, Psalm 10, verse 7 is quoted in Romans three fourteen. The problem for, for us with debit card justice is that we'd immediately pay for the sins that we've committed. And since that penalty is death and everyone has sinned, the human race would not make it very far. But oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. Turn with me to Romans 3.21. It'll also be on the screen if you want to follow along there, but we'll read verse 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance or patience, he had passed over former sins It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God's justice is perfect and calculated. He is patient to carry it out on sin, not because he doesn't care, but because he has a plan to redeem sinners. Look at your life before coming to Christ. Did you sin? Are you happy that the Lord was patient with you until you repented and found forgiveness in him? Do you still struggle with sin? Are you happy that the Lord is patient to conform us to the image of Christ? What about that family member that you've been praying for to seek the Lord and find salvation in him? God, in his divine, merciful patience, passed over former sins so that the one who has faith in Jesus might be justified by him. And like that credit card bill, God's justice will one day come to all and the accounts will be settled. The power and justice of the king will prevail. So be assured that God is just. In concluding this morning, we asked the question that the psalmist asked at the beginning, where is God in the injustice that we experience? Jesus suffered injustice so that we could become children of God. He identifies with us in our suffering, and he can also reorient our identity. The power and justice of our king will prevail. So we cry out to the Lord. When we struggle to cry out to the Lord, we can pray that he gives us a greater hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
the power and justice of the king will prevail so we can be assured that God is just. Remember that God was patient with you in your sin so that you could be called a child of God. When you, when you experience injustice, be assured that God is mercifully patient and that he is just. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning from many different places, some of us being crushed by oppression and resonating with this psalm. Lord, if that is us this morning, I pray that your word and what we talked about would fill our hearts, satisfy us with joy and love in you. Lord, I pray that as we encounter evil, wickedness, and injustice, that we would cry out to you for deliverance, that we would run to you in those times and not away from you. Lord, I also pray when that, when that injustice or that evil or that sin is inside of us, that we would also in those times run to you and not away from you and cry out to you in repentance and plea for your forgiveness, looking to the cross of Christ, being assured, yes, we are forgiven in your children. God, and lastly, I pray that we would have assurance and rest in your control and in your justice, and that we would see that you are mercifully patient to grow your family and make your kingdom bigger. All for your glory. Stir up our hearts in love, comfort, and affection in the midst of the things that we experience, Lord. May we cry out to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.